chapter 5 this morning. We are at the end of this bundle that I had talked about, this bundle of justification. So in these 11 verses, uh, it has been like a snowball coming downhill after Paul in those first four chapters has said, there's no one without excuse before God. Uh, Not the self-righteous, not those who have the law, not those who don't have the law, not those who have tried their best. Uh, There is a necessity for a savior. And then in chapter four, he just has these beautiful words of, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested from heaven. And that righteousness for us, we see it in a person. We see Jesus Christ is the manifestation. He is the embodiment of all that is right and good. And then comes that amazing blessing that it is given to us who believe. And so when we start chapter 5 with that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, uh, that, that phrase so powerful, he lays out there, therefore, because you as a people have been justified by faith. And I, and I know I, I've, I've reiterated this the last three weeks that we've been in here, but, but that's where everything springs from. And, and he makes it just as a statement of fact. You have been justified by faith. It is as though uh, a child goes into a courtroom and the judge says, Child, I don't know what you have done, or I do know what you have done, but this family has decided to adopt you as theirs, and this father and this mother are going to take upon themselves all the baggage, not just beforehand, but for eternity You will be theirs. It's done. It's not as if that child comes back and says, I don't know, I don't know. The judge has a piece of paper. It's been ordered. It's done. And so that's what he's saying here. You are justified. And I love it. He just has to, God has to put it in there by faith, right? Because we constantly, and I would say even especially as Christian people, we tend to justify ourselves by our works. And we live in that mindset. Of course I'm justified. Of course I belong to Christ. Of course I'm a Christian. Look what I've done. The apostle says all of these things. So we're going to focus today just on verses 9 to 11. But I'll I'll, I'll read the first verses just to kind of again give us context of all of these things. And I've titled the sermon so much more, much more, so much more, something like that. I don't remember what I wrote. but, um, But in verses 9, 10, and 11, you'll see that each verse he says, much more so much more and more than that and so what what i what i what i see in this in this text is he's given us all the benefits of christ's death your sins have been washed you've been counted as righteous you have standing so all these things we're going to read about but but where we come is this closure of this bundle is But here's what you have because Christ is alive. Here's what you have because he is alive. So um, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our text this morning, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. So here are the bundles from the last three weeks. We have peace with God. We've been granted access into God's grace. We have standing. We rejoice in this hope of God glorifying himself. Our posture towards suffering has changed. We know that he is the one who loves us. He's in control of everything. We face suffering. We know it brings us endurance. We know that it builds character. We know that we will not be ashamed. God will not leave us in some sense of shame. We have hope. And and then last week, and we're loved by God. And that argument last week was just so powerful. He's like, how else could God demonstrate love? He didn't love you when you were worthy of it. He loved you when you were ungodly. He loved you when you were weak. He loved you when you were out of time. He loved you while you were his enemy. And so in uh, the text this morning, it's as if we go from the death benefit to the life benefit. I don't know if any of you sell life insurance or you bought life insurance. You have several types of life insurance. You have the uh, term life. Um, and it's funny, I mean, it's another great name, isn't it? Life insurance. Uh, it's not going to keep you alive, uh, just in case. It just it won't keep you alive, right? It's just another one of those great words. It's really uh, death benefit for those you love at the time you sign this document, right? To take care of your loved ones, to take care of the people when you're gone. Uh, but I think, I don't know when that whole life and the universal life and all that stuff, I'm not selling either of those, by the way, just so you know. But, but just that idea that wouldn't it be great if you put that money in it and there was something for you, you know? You don't have to wait till you die. You get to use some of that money, right? That'd be awesome. Um, and I feel like that's exactly what he's doing. It's like, you have all of these wonderful benefits that I've laid out for you because of the blood and body of Christ being broken on your behalf. But there's more. In fact, there's so much more. I have told you before, um, but now, seven and a half years into ministering here, I feel like I can use, reuse some illustrations because you probably forget. Well, you probably heard the illustration before of that, that kind couple that paid our seminary debt. Right, that last year of seminary, uh, when, I, when I knew that I was going to get this depressing paycheck that wasn't going to grow no matter how many souls were saved or how many people showed up to worship, it was fixed for a year. I think I've told you that was the most depressing paycheck I ever got because I'm like, it's going to be the same for 12 months. Right? We, we graduate from seminary. There's this amount of debt and 
um, I, I land that first job and I'm like, you know, that's all we're going to get. Um, and this man calls and just asks me about his friend from uh, previous employment, asks me, you know, how's it going? How much, what's your financial situation? And me being a proud man, it's like, we're fine, right? We're good. We're, we're fine. We got this. I, I got this. I can take care of my family. And just in an obnoxious way, kind of digging in there, do you owe any money to the school? Okay, I owe a little money to the school. How much? Like, we're Americans. We don't talk about that stuff, right? We teach our kids early on when they go to visit someone's house. They don't say, uh, Mr. Chismar, how much did your house cost? Right? They, they say that, and they're like, oh, don't, don't. Oh, no, you can't ask that. Right? So, I mean, it's, it's still ingrained in there, isn't it? How much do you owe? Okay, I owe this. So that's it, then. You don't owe anything else? Like, well, we owe Discover Card some money. Oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah, and I start making excuses. You know, it, this didn't work out, this didn't work out, and I've actually been putting our rent on Discover Card. Wow. And I, you know why it was hard for me? Because we went through a financial peace class way before we went to seminary, and he taught it, you know, about debt and, you know, the evils of this and that. So, I mean, it was, it was doubly just hard, right? Um, it wasn't financial peace. It was way before that. It was uh, Tim LaHaye's thing, you know. But a anyway, um, all right, so how much do you owe Discover Card? This much. Do you owe anything else? And I can't remember what else it was, but it was a sizable amount. And he paid for it. Right? I've told you that story before. But sometimes we use it when we, when we come to a time of confession of just thinking about when God is unfolding this in us, it's just so he can remove its power and its stain and its guilt. But think about this. Um, I was super happy and super thankful. But a year later, I got in debt again. Right? A year later, we bought a house. A year later, we needed to replace a car. A year later, we had some emergencies come up. Right? Now, how, how terrible would it be for me, in some sense, to call him up a year later? Like, hey, bud, you want to ask me some questions? <laughs> <laughs> You want to find out about anything? Huh? How you doing? You want to know how I'm doing? Right? I mean, it would just have been ridiculous, right? There's that sense of, man, uh, the, the debt that I had, it was because of the situation. It wasn't my fault. It was, you know, trying to do the good things. Trying to... But now the debt I have, it's all on me, right? And I want you to think about that as a Christian and a Christian walk, right? We, we, we come to Christ, many of us, at times of insurmountable guilt and sorrow. Uh, we have those experiences sometimes at a camp and we're sobbing and we, and we realize or someone catches us doing something. Um, I, I remember my mom catching me in this lie and I'm like, I gotta go get baptized again, right? There's that, that sense of, of we, we come to Christ that way and when we're with him and in him and saved, there is this sense that to keep that relationship, I, I, I can't go back and ask him again. Because now I have a relationship with him. I like to think of it this way. Someone can say something mean and evil about me, and it will bother me. But if it's my child, if it's my wife, they have such a, a, a deeper hold of my heart and truly, I think of that as God's adopted children. God's children that, that he has sent his son to die for. 
and how heinous our sin as saved people is to him. We know better. We have the Spirit in us. We may have even felt that sense of the Spirit trying to restrain us from saying and doing and acting. But you know what? His grace is much more. His grace is so much more. And that's what this text points out. John Stott writes in reference to this text, he said, if you uh, ever have an evangelist ask you, are you saved? You might answer yes and no. And of course that caught my attention when he said that. It's like, yes, I have been justified. Yes, I have been reconciled to God, but my total, my complete my complete salvation, my new glorified, sinless, perfect body, my eternal soul, cleansed of all sin and all causes of sin, I am not there yet. But because of God's great and perfect love, I will be. I will be. I have been saved, and I am being saved. And ultimately, everything will be completed one day. Now, the context, again, of our text, I think really one of the hinge pins is how do, we, how do we act when we suffer? How do we act when things don't go right? And again, if you think that in a familial relationship, right, what, is a, what does a dad do? You know, the other story, you remember me telling this about taking my daughter to the bus stop in Tupelo, Mississippi, and she gets on a bus, right, and she's the minority, and she gets bullied, and she comes home, and I'm talking with her, and it's my little princess. What am I going to do with my little princess? And I'm like, honey, you want me to just start driving you to school? And she's like, no, Dad, I don't think that would be good. I don't, I don't, I don't think that would be good. I, I, I think I need to get back on. I'm like, well, do you feel safe? She goes, oh, I know I'm safe. I know I'm safe. But I, but I, I need to face it. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> it's got to be your mom's side, right? Um, how do we handle suffering? Because we think the loving person wants to step in and remove it. And so um, as we see it, as he said before, that suffering really, uh, we get to see it in a different light. That it has purpose. Um, and so the sermon and sentence this morning is that if all this is true, verses 9 to 11, if all this is true, then Christians really should be rational optimists. So we're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11. And the three arguments he makes here, the first one is negative. You are, you're safe from wrath, not just today, but wrath in the future. Uh, the second one is positive. You are reconciled. And the third is really rational. We are able to rejoice. We are safe from wrath in the future. Verse 9, God's love lasts. Grace greater than all our sin. Uh, the present value of Christ's blood. Um, it is uh, not just you're cleansed and then you're set with a brand new record to make, but you're cleansed forever. And you're saved from that final judgment. That's a hard thing for me as a kid growing up as a Christian. You know what it was? That, that thought that the books would be opened on that day. And that everyone would see the little Marky boy who was so nice to people really had bad thoughts at times really was nice to people because he just loved the attention it gave him. Really was kind to people because he knew it would work out in his favor later on. 
really was kind to people if people could see it. But we're saved from God's wrath as his children. And on that day, on that last day, what do you say from, well, in chapter 2, verses five, he, verse 5, he said, but because you're hard and penitent hearts, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. goes on in verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Believer, you will not face that. The present value of the blood of Christ, the living Savior, has you. You will not face that. Our relatives will not have to pray uh, to the saints that we would be relieved from purgatory for our sins. They don't have to light incense or do good works. Our relatives won't worry if you're in Christ. And even if your death is a cause of some dreadful sin, Christ has justified you now and forever. John 5, Jesus said this truly, truly, his emphatic voice, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So much more. Not just our accrued death, debt at the time of our salvation, but everything. You know, at the end of the message, I'm going to implore you to a rational optimism. And I think even that is reason enough. That really is, that, that is reason enough. But he continues. He reminds you, you believer, when you suffer, remember. Believer, when things don't go your way, remember. You will not face judgment at the end of days. In fact, you will be received with open arms. You'll be finally fully cleansed. Secondly, though, in verse 10, much more, he says, for while we were enemies, and he uses a a fortiori. A fortiori. I think that's uh, Latin for uh, lesser to greater. He uses a lesser to greater argument. And it's beautiful. Here's how he says it. Just remember this, Christian. When did Christ die for you? He died for you in the text previous while you were ungodly, while you were weak, uh, when, when you ran out of time. That's when he died for you. Now you're his. So you have to remember that. Now he's saying now, you've got to remember that that has happened. It is done. Now you're adopted and you're you belong to him if he did this amazing thing while you were his enemy how much more so now that you belong to him how much more so now that you're his how much more so now that that he doesn't see an object of wrath but when he looks at us he sees the righteousness of his beloved son wrapped around us it's as if he puts his jesus glasses on and says That's who I see. How much more? And so he uses the word reconciled. And so the the word justified, we use that all the time. Justified is this legal sense. You you are declared righteous. It's not you're actually yet righteous. You're not already there yet. Um, But you're declared it in the legal sense. Uh, All the things that God has against you, 
uh, everything that could be listed in legal terms has been accounted for and paid for, but you're also reconciled. And reconciled carries with it that familial, right? It's, it's, it's not just forgiven, but the judge says, now come into my home. Our relationship, our personal relationship is reconciled. I can tell you, 30-some years as a pastor, an unreconciled family is a pain that money can't deal with. A pain that sex and drugs and whatever and affluence and a new boat can't deal with. But reconciled? The greatest prayers of joy and praise and thanksgiving is my son who was lost has now returned. And, and God the Father says there will be rejoicing in heaven. Kill the fatted calf. My son who was lost has now returned. And so there's much more than just being declared righteous. Again, really enough. <laughs> but there's still much more. It would be illogical. It would be uncharacteristic. From all that we know of God. And I mean all that we know of God as he is given to us in his holy word. It would be illogical and uncharacteristic that we would not expect him to continue to save us. We are then fully logical and rational when we're able to rejoice in any and all circumstances. It doesn't mean we will not be without weeping and longing but we will be able to rejoice. And I, I want to look at that just lastly and quickly. This verse 11. Even more than that, he says in verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, it's probably the first time in seven years where I've said I'm not really happy with the ESV translation. And I think they probably it's probably okay, but... Um, what I, what I like, is again, when we translate the scriptures, we allow context of scriptures to help us. We, we, we say that we have scripture, interpret scripture. Um, we don't do a reader response view of it. I'm going to read this, and how does it make you feel? We're like, what did it mean, and what did it mean to the original recipients? So these Roman Christians, what would that mean, those phrases in Greek? Well, if you go back to 217, in, in that part of Romans where he is just saying, there is nobody that doesn't need a Savior. And he's talking especially about the Jews who kept the law. You know, they, 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 they did everything they could, and they even took it an extra step further. In chapter 217, he says, But what if you, you call yourself a Jew, and you rely on the law and boast in God? And so that phrase, boast in God, is the exact same words that he uses here. What is he saying? Now, because we have been justified, saved, reconciled, it... it so rejoice sometimes doesn't, doesn't make it because rejoice, we think about happiness. I'm like, how can I always be happy? And is God mad that I'm sad? Is God mad that I'm crying? Right? I, I had issues with my dad when, when he was passing away. He says, I just, I want a celebration of my life. I want a promotion to glory. I said, yeah, dad, but there will also be weeping. We will miss you. It will be a loss for us who are still left here. So the phrase he uses really should be, we are able to boast in God. 
And I just feel like that makes much more sense, doesn't it, when we're talking about the context of suffering. More than that, in the midst of hardship, we can boast in our God. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm struggling. In our previous church, lost several young people, pancreatic cancer. Did we cry? Yes. Did we boast in our God? Yes. We knew he was not finished with her. He was not finished with him. That he was going to a greater place. It was not just some fanciful thing that man made up to help us get through it. It was secured, and it is rational to believe it because Christ rose from the dead. It's rational to believe it because the twelve saw the risen Christ and were changed men. They faced their death. They faced being in stocks. They faced beatings, and they rejoiced. Why? Because they were rational. Why? They were logical. Our God has said this would happen, but our God has also promised that what awaits us is an eternal weight of glory. More than that. So what does that mean for us? Well, for a couple things. Christian, if you feel safe or accepted by God uh, because you're killing it right now in... um, righteousness <laughs> you've had a pretty good couple of months right that's not secure if you feel my security with the Lord is all wrapped up because I followed him without fail that's not secure but if because as our text says the Holy Spirit has poured into your hearts the love of God if he has overwhelmed you in good times and in bad, that you belong to him. That whatever sin and insecurities, whatever voices speak into your mind, you know that that does not speak louder than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice and we boast in God. Through tears we can boast in God. Probably no greater example than Job. What does he say to his friends who tell him, Job, it is certainly something you've done. He says, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. And then why? He said, because I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And then he says, and I will see him with my own eyes. And when my flesh is wasted away, I will yet behold him. And Job doesn't say, because I'm good. Because my Redeemer lives. Does the Almighty do right? And so we can move forward. We can move to the table. We can eat of the bread and we can drink of the cup. We can be assured that Christ's body and blood have eternal value. Because he is risen, we will also rise with him. Idols are things that supplant our God. And the Christian um, has a different kind of idolatry that we're kind of drawn into. And it is a self-righteous idolatry for the most part. 
and we, we sneak into it sometimes uh, in almost innocent ways as we behold the sins of others or the sins of a fallen world. And if we're not too careful, we just start to think, God loves me because I'm better than those people. And um, it, it is to be repented of. And in anything that we would put our hope and faith and trust in that's, that's louder, that, that outplaces our God, you hold it up. I like to hold it up to the table. What has he done? And what is he doing? Rational optimism. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we of all people in any and every circumstance can boast about you because you are unchanging. Our hearts go back and forth. Our affections go back and forth. We rest on what we feel. We make evaluations based on the current moment. And yet, Father, your love is faithful and unchanging, and it lives as Christ lives. Father, we pray that you set these elements aside, that we take and eat in good faith, not as an act of our righteousness, Father, but in our way of professing our faith to ourselves and to our world, that we rest at night. We close our eyes even while we're waiting to hear back from the doctor's scan or the blood tests, we close our eyes in full assurance that he who has promised is faithful and he will deliver us into eternity, into eternal pleasure with the Father. And therefore, we can boast in who you are. Father, we pray that that would be a mark of your people in a world full of insecurities, in a world full of just continuing deconstruction. People who don't know what can be known. What can we be certain about? And even the, the voices of certainty come across as arrogant. We can say, no, this is what our God has said. And this is what he has done. This is who he is. And these are the saints that have gone before us that have attested to it. There is a rational, objective truth to your gospel, and we stand in it. Oh, help us, Father. May this be our state. May you be glorified. Amen.